0: I used to uh, always say, save your rage for the stage. And uh, because that really is your soapbox. That's your opportunity to, yes, inform, inform and educate the people that come to your show. And really, it's not even that they're your audience. They're there as fellow human beings.
1: You're listening to Music Growth Talks. The podcast for musicpreneurs with Andrew Apanoff. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanoff here with a new edition of the Music Growth Talks podcast. Today's episode is um, somewhat unusual as it doesn't have a lot on marketing, but it does cover a different kind of growth. This is my conversation with the princess of punk, Beef Naked. The name my Canadian listeners may recognize in particular, let me quote a description from Beef's website. Uh, Beef Naked is an international recording artist, poet, writer, troublemaker, nice girl, dishwasher, martial artist, ballerina, straight-ager, tree-hugger, fighter Canadian citizen, and middle daughter. Um, I think it's important to add for the context of our conversation since we didn't talk about it much during the interview. Uh, that um, Beef is a cancer survivor, something she talks about in her memoir, Ibificus, which I highly recommend you to check out. And um, she's currently finishing a book about cancer as well. Um, Beef uh, was born in New Delhi to teenage parents and was adopted by American missionaries and eventually ended up in Canada. She's got a fascinating life story. Ten records, multiple hits, toured the world for 20 years. Um, you just go and look her up on Wikipedia for a full background if you're unfamiliar with Beef's career. And please listen on. Welcome to Music Growth Talks. I'm honestly honored to have you on the podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm honored to be here
1: do you want to tell me something about the post on instagram you published just a couple hours ago i wasn't going to ask you about that but i just went up and you know and and saw this very inspiring post you did about uh, your water the day
0: oh good yeah i don't know you know i've been uh social media is so strange really in our culture it really is for most of us especially Maybe especially Generation X, probably worse for millennials and whatnot. But I've been on Twitter, for example, since 2009. And uh, I didn't understand the format. I wasn't on Facebook. There was record company people uh, who handled Facebook and MySpace because I didn't own a computer. I didn't have a television. I didn't care. I had dogs and listened to punk rock and worked out and did yoga and I was really not all that interested. But I got Twitter on my Blackberry in 2009 and without knowing what I was doing or knowing what else to do, I would put up a word of the day or I would put up a food of the day just because I just was being kind of silly and and in lieu of writing anything that was, I don't know, I felt I felt embarrassed to be too self-promoting regarding music, so I just did stuff like that. And sometimes I would uh, do lots of different gratitude posts and whatnot. And so uh, Twitter it kind of has evolved. It, it you know it ebbs and flows as far as the. Um, uh, the audience goes because people get off of Twitter and do something else, or they yeah. go back to Facebook, or and then Instagram kind of was developed, and and Snapchat kind of at the same time as Instagram. I never really got into Snapchat because I, quite honestly, I just felt too self-conscious to always be shooting videos. I I just I felt that was invading my privacy a little bit, and I was at a different. Place, I guess, in my emotional life when Snapchat came out. I think that my, my dad was in palliative care. I was going through a divorce. My dog died. I mean, it was a number of different things that led me to feel like I wasn't prepared to do a video every day. So Instagram was fun because I love taking pictures and I always have. And, uh, to try and include photographs along with a message that's positive, no matter how corny or silly. You know, some of the audience feels it is. It doesn't necessarily always get a great number of likes, but you know, I just think I, I just never cared <laughs> much to my, you know, music, uh, publicists and managers chagrin. You know, it's, uh, something they're very uh, concerned about all the time. A lot of business and as, as you know, in the music business, entertainment business, they are very interested in your content your algorithm what you post all the likes and i just i just can't have that brain my brain is always to just try and just be positive positive. <laughs> and really it's that simple but
1: the, but you you are doing exactly what is needed for growth on social media so you figured it out without trying hard at all because you, the algorithms work the way that uh what people react to is being promoted organically so if you Mm -hmm. post something interesting positive something that your audience is interested in they will like and uh, retweet share comment and so on so yeah Mm -hmm. i mean it's you clearly could maybe you see some changes in the amount of likes you're getting on your photos that may be related to some other (coughs) changes to to that very platform but you don't really need to know all the Kind of aspects of how these platforms work. It's just the fact that you do it honestly, authentically. You don't try to push your work here all the time. So, and I've I've seen the kind of posts you've been publishing. You really get it well.
0: Oh, good! Thank you. I'm so happy. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, very validating.
1: Yeah, but it's. I mean, so anyway, I'm linking to your Instagram profile in the show notes, so anyone can check it out as well and subscribe, oh, cool. follow. Yes. So no, some some really good stuff here. And okay, uh, thank you for it, which was kind of an unplanned side note. But yeah, I was I was really curious to just uh, you know start with asking you what you've been working on lately, and if it's uh, new a new book, new music, new I don't know. Maybe you're working on the documentary. I have no idea, honestly. And I'm oh. I, I, I'm yes, I'm, I'm I'm intentional. I'm emphasizing the fact that I don't know just yet. So please. Let us know what's been, what you've been cooking lately.
0: Wow. Well, you know, it's a, I guess it's kind of always ongoing. And I'm sure anyone who works for themselves, whether they're an artist or a self employed writer or anything, you know, something is always simmering, I suppose, on the stove. We recorded a new record between last November and this past February. And so those, those songs are still being mixed. And mastered and really excited about it. I am, I just completed my first book of poetry just because I honestly, I was bored and wanted to do a book of poetry in between trying to finish my book about cancer, which is suffice to say, it's a little, it's a little cerebral sometimes. And I I get really bored writing it and I get lost in the details and the rhetoric of. Statistics, or you know, if I'm trying to, for example, I have a chapter on chemotherapy, and then I talk about chemotherapy medications and how to mitigate side effects as far as from the positivity angle. Yeah. You know, how to stay positive while you're in the, while your body is busy, basically. And that book is really hard to write. It can be really boring and it can be kind of all consuming. I had to change my reading glasses cuz it was literally so much time trying to uh trying to do research to make sure I was speaking correctly to some of these pharmaceutical things that I was trying to talk about. So I did a book of poetry on the side uh just because I was uh getting frustrated and I needed a break from that from the serious writing to do something that I really enjoyed. And Yeah, we're we're looking forward to doing shows in the fall. I love playing acoustically. We just finished an acoustic show, Snake and Myself. And my first book, which was a memoir, you know, it still is doing well. And I still get invited to do book tours and and speaking engagements surrounding that book. So I love it. I love all the aspects of kind of being a professional communicator, whether or not I'm singing or whether or not I'm speaking
1: yeah and yeah i'm linking to ibificus in the show notes as well and are it sounds like you're working on some serious book right there really cool about uh the poetry one as well we'll, we'll add all the relevant links to the stuff that is uh, published and uh it's it's great that you're working on multiple projects at the same time how would you think about how are you thinking about uh, different mediums different channels of expressing your creativity some I don't know, 20 years ago. So would you, did you work on something besides writing songs early on in your career? Or is it just something that you discovered, uh, like something like writing books only later on?
0: Uh, You know, for me, I was always uh, in uh, dance classes when I was a kid. And throughout my young adult life, I really thought I would be a choreographer or a dancer until I discovered the theater. And then I wanted to be an actor. So studying in university, I was a musical theater major. That was my passion. And that's what I wanted to pursue as my life's work. And that really kind of opened the doors somehow because of the friends I made to being in a punk rock band. (laughs) And really, it's the same as musical theater, I assure you. There aren't a lot of differences. Just look at Guar. You know, that's theater, you know, to the thousandth degree. And it still is cathartic and creative and really fulfilling. I never did do any dance choreography in my career, which is something I always think, well, you know, maybe when I'm an old woman, I, I would love to, uh, to return to that discipline and explore it a little more. Another thing I always did was paint. So I've always done cartooning and made paintings. And that comes and goes. I find that, and a lot of artists probably can relate to that. You know, if you have multi-mediums that you work within, you can kind of oscillate between them all. Really, you know, whatever strikes you. And certainly, wherever the money is, wherever you help you buy groceries is what you're going to do. Yeah
1: no that uh that that's that's great and i think it's uh there is quite some pressure on on musicians for example music artists out there who are just trying to make it in the music business and may not be spending as much time on some other creative projects of theirs just because they're they're stressed because of having to deliver a new record for example i think it's really important for for productivity and creativity to uh to be cool with uh, exploring different roads so it's interesting how how it's uh how it's been for you and uh yeah so one of the th- uh, things that i really like about your work from what i've heard and seen so far is how well uh direct you've been in in, in the messaging and that you've been supporting particular causes I really like the quote of Tom Morello, he said once in interview to Billboard, I think uh, that all music is political, you either support status quo or, well, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember how, what he said exactly, but basically the the idea is that all the music out there, and he even used the example of Justin Bieber, not to, you know, to discuss a fellow Canadian artist, <laughs> uh, that, that you, yeah, you either support the status quo or not, and your songs in particular have been quite political. How, how do you approach that today?
0: Oh, well, you know, it, it was different when I was younger. When I was a young woman making records, uh, I was really fortunate to have adults, grown-ups that were the production team and the, and the record companies and the managers who just let me be myself. And uh, the first single I ever released as a solo artist was called "Tell on You" letter to my rapist, and that was in nineteen ninety five. Mm. It came out. We made a video for it. Uh, it's a ballad. It didn't do very well, but you know they they knew it wouldn't. It wasn't uh, that wasn't the point. You know the point wasn't that it was ever ever going to get on radio. Which, as a you know back then, as a tattooed chick, I had a lot of trouble getting on rock radio anyway. But you know the point was that that was the song that was the introduction to this artist and basically it was definitely a statement song uh, but at the same time you know when i would perform this song in the early concert i would perform it on the stage a cappella before the band came out i would just go up there and it was almost like self torture you know it was uh it was like you know basically i don't know stabbing myself <laughs> in front of the audience every single night singing this uh, very vulnerable song acapella and when i was a young person especially i mean i didn't have the best voice in the world it wasn't i didn't have any training you know i kind of had to just make it up as i went along and and from that point i think that uh, i kind of started to develop a reputation as a female that wouldn't back down from any any topic and wouldn't tolerate any you know any monkey business basically yeah and and that care that stayed with me for sure. I think all of us, as we as we grow up and and relax into ourselves and relax into our passions and our causes, and you know, I've changed a little bit. I'm not. I don't talk so much. <laughs> you know, I don't. Uh, I don't chime off about every battle that I want to fight. You know, I really do pick and choose some of the different things to align myself with. And they're, they're, they're the same things today that they always were, you know, human rights, animal rights, gay and trans rights. And I mean, it just, you know, I think that most people that I know and have, I've ever met anywhere in the world always kind of have the same mindset as I do. Uh, so I think it, that, that being said, I think it just has always also resonated with my audience.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. It reminded me of Ward's. Amanda Palmer has been talking about quite a bit and how being vulnerable and opening up about some of the most private and, and scary parts of her life in through songs helped connect with listeners. I'm sure this has been happening with you and I can only imagine how tough it can be at the same time. But it's also interesting to, to how uh, to, to hear that you've been changing this approach to, uh, to different causes. So as I understand, uh, kind of moving more from this activist uh, role into an educator, maybe, and just uh, spreading the words in very positive light. I was hosting and organizing hosting panel at the Ripper conference a couple of years ago about animal rights in the context of music. And it's something that kind of is particularly interesting to, to, to me personally, and uh, it was interesting to hear how some artists who are animal rights activists, uh, uh, they, they're afraid to, to, to show it sometimes to the audience publicly or through the songs, because uh, it's very difficult to build the audience, and they don't want to polarize the audience too much, even for, I think, it's very important to do that. Do you have opinion on that if you stand for something very polarizing, be it a political, religious or any kind of topic, should you speak up as an artist and use it as you know as a platform to, to spread the words or it's fine to, you know, just set it aside?
0: Well, I think that anybody who's passionate about something has the right to, to talk about it and if, if you're an artist, certainly those those uh, feelings are going to permeate your lyrics or your painting. And if not your lyrics, they're going to permeate your stage show. I used to uh, always say, you know, save, save your rage for the stage. And uh, because that really is your soapbox. That's your opportunity to yes, inform, inform and educate the people that come to your show, you know, and really, it's not even that they're your audience. They're there as fellow human beings and you have an opportunity. You're the one with the microphone. You know, you can you can still, you know, you know, spew your message of peace ultimately and and one love and anything you want. And you can also, you know, say this is what I am. This is why I'm this way. I mean, you know, it, there's a history of, of that being Very important over the years, not just with the Rage guys and Tom Morello, who you quoted, but also, you know, through the whole straight edge movement over the years. I mean, this is where we learned it. We learned it from Ian McKay and those guys. I mean, I learned it from John Joseph and the Chrome Eggs. You know, that's where we all learned to speak up and speak out. We learned it from, you know, Bad Brains. You know, and we, we watched the, all these guys that were our heroes, you know, they renounced hatred. They renounced racism. They renounced cruelty. And, and it was amazing. One of the first bands I ever really fell in love with was a band called Shelter and Shelter really kind of, they didn't necessarily start the Krishna core movement, but it was really important to me as a young person to hear their words. They put, they infused the message, you know, literally, uh, of the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita in their song lyrics, and man, I thought that was the coolest thing I would ever heard in my whole life. And it opened up my mind, just as a writer and as a songwriter, that you can whatever you want to say is what you get to say. You have, this is your chance, your opportunity. And as far as you know, animal activism and that goes. You know, I always try and have a community table at my shows, which has usually the local rescue agencies, I invite them all to come and leave their brochures and information, contact information at my merch table. But I also, as a person, as a fellow human traveling with other musicians, I've always been the only vegan in my band and in my family, you know, throughout my life. And that for me was something that never actually bothered me. I was always the odd man out, always. You know, as a, I was the odd man out as a woman, as a, the only girl, but also the only vegan. And so I always knew that, you know, for me to sit there and admonish my band guys about having hamburgers or whatever, it wasn't necessary. That wasn't my job. My job was to live as an example.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. you know, and they could just, just living symbiotically uh, with these people who I love very much. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hate on them for their choices, and a lot of abolitionist vegans disagree with me about that. They say you shouldn't even, you know, be in a relationship with these people in any form. How can they, you know, it's disrespectful if they, you know, eat eggs in front of you. It's disrespectful. I never saw it that way because I always saw veganism as more like my religion than anything else, and they have a different religion. Literally, it just had nothing to do with my path but if i could be an example by how i live, how i speak, you know, and just the the things that i stay true to year after year after year. For me that was really more authentically how i operate than anything else. I love t-shirts, i love flags, i love being able to spread messages in that way whenever i have an appearance or anything like that, you know, but veganism is very funny in north america. It's become a elitist in a way. And it's also, it's a class issue now, because it's very expensive to eat healthy. You know, when the impoverished people of the world cannot afford these fancy vegan restaurants, you know, so I do not go to those restaurants, even though they're vegan. That's fantastic. I think that's fantastic. But I always think I'm a hypocrite if I want to try and work for social justice and, and fight against food poverty for people, if I'm, you know, participating in this elitist kind of movement, you know, I've always eaten fruits and vegetables just because that's what I like. And so I, I make sure that I am very conscious of the messages that I do send.
1: Yeah, that's really inspiring. I share a similar approach to this. I'm really glad to, um, to, to hear it from you. I may even be quoting to- you to some of my uh, fellow um, vegan friends who tend to be mm-hmm. more sensitive about, well, I'm vegan, but not everyone, as you mentioned, um, shares the same positive attitudes towards just um, being out there as an example. I really like that. I bet it wasn't easy to tour as a vegan like uh, even 10 years ago, uh, but looks like you managed well.
0: Honestly, even in places like, uh, like, the Czech Republic, Russia, anywhere that I have been where the band is provided food, often, especially, again, yes, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, it was uh, dumplings (laughs) and beer and boiled meat. And, um, you know, God bless these these promoters because their mother cooked for the band, (laughs) which is uh, wonderful. It's beautiful. But, of course, I didn't eat bread, I didn't eat wheat, I didn't drink alcohol, and I didn't eat meat, I didn't eat cheese. Uh, so for someone like me, you know, it was very uh, difficult, but ultimately it was easy because I could, somewhere I'm going to find a tomato. Literally yeah. that was in my brain. I will find a tomato. And if I go to a restaurant with my band and we only have one hour To eat before the concert, I'm going to order a plate of tomatoes and they can have their, you know, whatever they're having, spaghetti, you know, Parmesan or whatever they're having. And I'm going to have my plate of tomatoes and I'm going to be grateful that I can have that and go do a show. And literally, that's always how I thought. So for me, it wasn't really hard. It was only hard if I was upset. Yeah, yeah. As long as I didn't allow it to make me feel sorry for myself, really, that's the bottom line. That's the only reason uh, anybody in the world would be feel, you know, bad that they didn't have their fancy vegan hot dog or whatever people are accustomed to eating or their almond milks or all this stuff. You know, if they had no almond milk, I didn't complain. I just had my coffee black. Yeah. You know, it's really simple and, and it's just perspective. And I think that because yeah. in the early days there was nothing available, now it's amazing. Now I can go to my store and get vegan whipped cream, you know, made out of coconuts. I mean, it's incredible. The product they have now, it's so easy to be, to eat plants. It's just so easy. However, it's expensive. So again, I, I'm always conscious of, of that. And that's why I stopped posting on social media a food of the day. I used to love to have a food of the day because it was just a a gentle suggestion. And uh, it was actually papayas that did me in because I suggested papaya as the food of the day Mm -hmm. one day. And both of my dogs were still alive at the time. And I would have, I cooked for my dogs. I never fed them dog food because I was convinced there were horses and everything. Uh, So I just cooked for them rice and whatever they eat, uh, you know, chopped spinach and stuff. But papaya was very expensive, and I would have a papaya with my dogs. And, you know, I thought about it, and I thought there's a lot of people that cannot afford to go buy a papaya and then not only eat the papaya but waste half of it on their dogs. And I thought, what do I look like that I'm posting this impossible ideology you know, surrounding food poverty to people. And I just thought I can't do this anymore. I can't because what, you know, I eat an avocado. I just think there's people can't afford an avocado. I'm not going to post that I ate an avocado. Like literally I won't post it because I feel like it's unattainable for many people. And I just, uh, as I got older, I became more conscious of, of food security surrounding our eating and around plant-based eating particularly
1: yeah that's some proper hardcore veganism right there but it's all about the mindset really it's it's about being uh, creative also i i like how you've been approaching that uh really inspiring i think that this kind of mindset is applicable to all aspects of life uh so we've been talking about plant-based diet here for a few minutes you've been sharing some interesting insights on that but really if you think that you don't have enough money for some kind of music gear that that doesn't allow you to to start creating music or you have you think that you have some kind of other limitations these days because there are just there's so much stuff and so much technology and everything is available from food to like everything is available everywhere but a different with different price tags clearly you you can just shift your perspective and do whatever you can with uh, the resources you've got this is what I get from your message besides the very interesting and practical to me tips about vegan lifestyle but not sure if you would agree with generalizing like that
0: oh I totally would agree one hundred percent because it it really is our perspective you know like you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who only want a certain a certain type of uh for example all the guitar players i know they only want these custom guitars you know and and yeah then you have kids that are just starting out they're lucky if they can find a a broken guitar in the garbage <laughs> and if they find one it's like finding gold and they can still write a song on it you know there yeah. it's all about perspective who's richer you know the person with the The garbage guitar, or the you know the rock star in the castle.
1: I think the music industry can learn a lot from the steel. Can learn a lot from the punk rock scene, from the straight edge movement, uh, and it's all applicable. Once again, not just to the lifestyle, but to to everything, including the business. And music business is quite quite an interesting place these days because it's uh, it's ever changing uh, and it's. So oftentimes a bit difficult to adapt even for there are some positive movements and changes. I guess you're, you' you must be quite uh, either quite excited or terrified about your upcoming music release in the current environment how, how do you feel about your upcoming records and what kind of expectations you've got with you know the streaming world and uh, using social media to potentially promote it and so on
0: Oh well, honestly fantastic. And I always have, because anything that that we create as creators, I mean, you know, we want to delight anyone who hears what we've made, just like a painter wants to pull off the, you know, the curtain and sh- the big reveal is the, the work of art. And uh, I think that as far as streaming, what's incredible about it is that anyone anywhere at any time can find your music, and listen to it, and appreciate it, and discover it, and share it. And honestly, as as musicians, our music can reach more people than it ever had. Is it a revenue source any longer? No, not at all. Not even close. But it wasn't, you know, for, for many bands. You know, once Napster happened, that shift began for any bands that were still struggling. And uh, unless you have sponsors, patron saints, or a day job, touring is very close to impossible. But the way we started touring, you know, in these early punk bands, just like you mentioned why these ethos, the ethos is still quite relevant from the old straight edge scene and the punk scene is because it was DIY, do it yourself. And that's how we toured. We slept in our van, you know, we shared a rice bowl and we just did it for the love of the show we were thrilled to go and play for example you know at uh, the satiricon in in portland oregon in 1992 we made 23 dollars 23 dollars american dollars and we were excited that we could put it in a gas tank so that we could get to the next show literally that was our mindset every show was a victory no matter if there were 10 people, you know, when I was working on this record uh, recently with Doug Fury, we talked about playing the rock and ring, you know, and we were laughing about how how good the chocolates were backstage. I mean, that was like the thrill of, the, you know, it wasn't that we were on stage with a prodigy that wasn't even in our brains. We were thinking about the chocolate like it was free food. We were like, oh my god, all this free food—it was amazing—and that attitude never leaves you. So when you release a single nowadays, any band will tell you this in any genre. It just really depends, a, on your perspective, and b, on you know how you can spread the word. There's a lot of uh, a lot of artists in this day and age, you know, and we can think of, of course, we think of pop stars uh, like Drake or any of these or you mentioned Justin Bieber, any of these artists, you know, they can drop a single, they can like surprise, you can get surprised in the morning. Oh, surprise. They've released a single and it is platinum. <laughs> you know, it's like a million streams in a one hour or whatever it is. And then there's band tour, you know, like, you know, your, your average Swedish death metal band that's on the road in Europe in winter trying, you know, desperately to get kids out to shows and they can drop a single and nobody will hear it, you know, and it's uh it's very unbalanced in that way, but you know, what's the trick? Is it money? You know, is it money that these companies are putting behind, you know, some artist single if you have a record deal, what does that really mean anymore? What does it look like? And is part of their marketing plan have to do with buying views buying like buying followers I mean this is the world we're in how do we you know as independent artists compete against that well at the end of the day you know it's not actually contrary to power belief it's not actually a competition any longer because it's really apples and oranges everyone is in their own lane yeah and, and that's my theory and I just think with us to release new music, you know, my hope obviously is to reach a larger audience, like anybody's hope, but I know that my fans who like my music will probably really like it. And so I go, man, that'd be really great. And then, and then they can, you know, shake my hand when they see me at a show and go, Hey, we like your song. And honestly, that has, that has to be enough for artists today because it's very difficult to actually have music be a revenue source anymore shows are a revenue source touring is a revenue source
1: yeah but it can even become a revenue source if you double down on your core audience and i'm fully with you on the idea that everyone is kind of in their own lane and you'll for example have some core fan base and if you just focus on making sure that your fans Hear the new record because it's it's also a challenge. Uh, They may not be following you on a particular social media platform You are on they are not uh, following you on Spotify yet, or they are using uh, Deezer and not Apple music or Spotify So you just want to ensure that you've done everything you can to reach them and then if they really like it and most probably they will They will spread the word for you as well. So just focusing on on the people who really care instead of reaching trying to reach masses is also just a practical and effective strategy from what we see at least and it it really helps if you have some kind of core following Uh, so anyway it's uh, i I, but yeah it's really it's it's a tricky topic but uh uh, you you've got some good and relevant thoughts um thoughts there so yeah um am really looking forward to checking out your new stuff by the way so uh, we, thank you once Very again cool. we will be linking to everything once it's out like i will just you know still edit if someone is listening to us later on this year or you know next year and yeah i think you should consider running a membership platform of some kind maybe a patreon or something like that because i think you could mobilize your super fans on one platform, just give them a platform to support you and to you know chat with other and so on. Just a side note, it's like
0: cool. I'm yeah, already I'm listening
1: you. to you and I'm kind of brainstorming what kind of things could work for you. Anyway, uh really interesting things. Uh well for now, for the time being, like let's say in the summer of 2018, what is the best platform to find more about you or maybe you know to to follow you or to subscribe to your updates? What's what's your preferred medium uh, platform right now
0: well currently I mean you know because I try and do everything organically and that's more of my hope to be just authentically do it myself so I'm on Instagram and Twitter I'm on Facebook a lot but a lot of my uh, musician friends are better at keeping more on top of their different social medias and I always find that for me, I try and do a, a broad section of posting. I don't have any scheduled posting. A lot of my friends who are in bands, they have they subscribe to scheduling, like uh, so that they're always posting something. I just find that I am inspired, and then I will post something, <laughs> basically. But that's the most honest way to find me, and I have all the messages are usually open. So um, I still send out mail outs. I get requests still today to, to visit people. I think that once I had breast cancer 10 years ago now, it's my anniversary this year, I started getting requests to go do hospital visits for patients. And that kind of led me into volunteering. I just never would have had that opportunity to discover that path had I not been diagnosed myself. So I've always thought of uh, my own diagnosis as a real uh, treasure, in a way, because it led me to doing some of the, I guess, volunteer work that I do. I love it. So I always want to uh, be available for people, and uh, I do send a lot of mail out. I send cards out all the time, awesome. and and I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. And when we do, uh, when we do shows, I do try and meet everyone after the show. And we we, uh, we do signings and stuff. And I just, and it's hours and hours because I talk and talk and talk until my manager tells me, stop talking. You're going to lose your voice. But it's just, yeah, they can find me on any of the social media. And that's really, you know, I just run it. and uh, And I love it. I love meeting my fans
1: amazing nothing but inspiring i really appreciate you sharing and and just doing it the way you do and uh, i i hope that it will you know walk as a as a as an example to uh to to some of the musicians listening to you right now so thank you so much for for all these cool insights
0: oh thank you
1: so yeah we'll keep an eye on on everything once again uh encouraging everyone to check out uh, the, the website and social media platforms uh we're we'll linking to it all so Beef, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast.
0: Oh, it was my sincere pleasure. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you all for listening. This was Beef Naked. Go check her out on social media. She is pretty active. Uh, She talked about it here, of course, but just look her up on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Just great accounts to follow. Uh, I absolutely love the kind of stuff she shares. And uh, watch out for her uh, upcoming releases, uh, uh, poems, the book, uh, the music, of course. And uh, I'm linking to some other resources in the show notes as well. Uh, You can find it at dartedmusic.com. On the blog, we have um, a post about these episodes, number 137. And uh, if you haven't uh, subscribed to this very podcast yet, please consider doing so at musicgrowthtalks.com. Uh, that's pretty much it for today. Uh, thank you all for listening. And till next time. You've been listening to Music Growth Talks with Andrew Apanoff.
0: Find more episodes and subscribe at musicgrowthtalks.com.